Welcome to today's edition of PEMQ Book Reviews. On today's episode, we'll be talking about emergency medical services, EMS, and transport. I'm Andrew Boulis. And I'm Jeffrey Lowe. We're pediatric emergency medicine fellows at UT Southwestern and Children's Health in Dallas, Texas. This podcast is edited by Ken Yin and Joanne Nesiyama, both PEM faculty at UT Southwestern. Before we get started, I would like to remind everyone that this podcast is a review of the high-yield points for the ABP PEM boards and does not reflect the views of UT Southwestern or Children's Health. Thanks for that introduction. Well, I'm about ready to dive right in. Let's do some questions. Which of the following statements is true regarding emergency medical services for children, EMSC? A. EMSC refers to the pediatric portion of the National Standard Curriculum for EMT training. B. EMSC refers to the subspecialty transport programs, neonatal and pediatric, offered by some tertiary care institutions. C. The goal of EMSC is separate EMS system that would focus on children and therefore improve their pre-hospital care. D. EMSC refers to a continuum of pediatric care that includes injury prevention, pre-hospital, ED, inpatient, and rehabilitation services, or finally E. PEM physicians play little role in EMSC. Well, EMSC is a federally funded program to improve EMS care for children, and I usually think of EMS being primarily pre-hospital care, so I would say C. Actually, the answer is D. EMSC refers not only to pre-hospital care, but also the entire chain of pediatric care, from injury or illness prevention to rehabilitation. It is meant to be part of the existing EMS system. Pediatric emergency physicians have played a key role in the development and continued growth of EMSC. Wow, that's a lot more comprehensive than I thought. That's great. Here's a question for you. EMS contacts you regarding a teenager that is refusing transport from the scene of a motor vehicle collision. Which of the following best describes an emancipated minor capable of making his or her own healthcare decisions? A. A 16-year-old mother of a 1-year-old child. B. A 17-year-old victim of abuse who has run away from home. C a 15-year-old living with friends because his parents threw him out of the house, D, a 17-year-old who is married, or E, all of the above. I've got to say the one who is married. I know that qualifies for emancipation. Correct. The answer is D. A minor may become emancipated by marriage, enlisting in the military, or declaration of the court if the minor is found to be financially independent and emotionally capable. The laws regulating emancipation of minors vary by state, but emancipation is not frequently granted by the courts. Being a mother or father living outside of the parent's home, whether by the child's choice or actions of the parent, does not automatically define emancipation. Well, let's go on to the next one. You are serving as the medical control for a local EMS system. You get a call from an EMTB regarding a six-month-old with a heart rate of 285. The patient is described as mottled and lethargic, having cool extremities. Your recommendation for treatment during transport should be to A. Obtain IV access, then give adenosine 0.1 milligrams per kilogram. 
B, perform synchronized cardioversion using 0.5 joules per kilogram, then repeat with one joule per kilogram if unsuccessful. C, place a bag of ice over the face and eyes, making sure not to cover the mouth and nose, then reassess after 15 to 20 seconds. D, perform defibrillation using two joules per kilogram, then repeat with four joules per kilogram if unsuccessful, or E, perform synchronized cardioversion using two joules per kilogram, then repeat with four joules per kilogram if unsuccessful. So this question is really asking the scope of practice of the EMT. Exactly. A distractor in this question is the six-month-old child described as being an unstable SVT, where normally the correct answer for definitive care would be cardioversion, but definitive care is not the question here. The question is what is the capability of the EMT basic in this situation? So I would say C, the vagal maneuvers, and drive fast. That's right. Good discernment of the question. Don't let stumbling blocks in the question fool you. The correct answer is C. The EMTB will generally not administer IV medications or cardioversion. So while synchronized cardioversion, starting with 0.5 joules per kilogram, would be the best choice of treatment, in the case of unstable supraventricular tachycardia, the best therapy the EMTB could provide is vagal maneuvers and transport to the ED. Great. How about this one? You're providing medical control for EMS as they care for a 10-year-old victim of a house fire. The patient is in cardiopulmonary arrest, chest compressions are being performed, and the patient is intubated. They have been unable to obtain peripheral IV access, and they are asking you about the use of IO in this patient. You should advise them too. A. IO lines are contraindicated in patients older than 8 years old. B. Endotracheal administration of medications is preferred to the IO route. C. Evidence of burns over the site of insertion is an absolute contraindication to the IO placement. D. IO access does not provide reliable delivery of drugs to central circulation. Or E. The distal tibia, proximal humerus, and the sternum have been used successfully to place IO lines. E, I.O. in the proximal tibia, but I don't think you can put an I.O. through a burn, can you? E is the correct answer, but that is just a relative contraindication. I.O. lines can be placed in patients of all ages, including adults. Appropriate sites of insertion for I.O. lines include the proximal tibia, the distal tibia, distal femur, and the proximal humerus and sternum. According to the most recent AHA recommendations, endotracheal administration of drugs provides unreliable absorption, and IO administration is the preferred route since it provides reliable delivery of drugs to the central circulation. A burn and or infection over the site are relative but not absolute contraindications to IO use, whereas a fracture of the bone to be accessed is an absolute contraindication. I think I get it now. Well, let's move on. A referring hospital with limited pediatric capabilities calls regarding the transfer of a three-year-old restrained passenger involving a high-speed MVC. The patient is intubated and the heart rate is 160, blood pressure is 70 over 50, respiratory rate is 25 ventilated, 
and the pulse oximeter reads 95% on 100% FiO2. The estimated transport time using your pediatric transport team is 20 minutes by helicopter. The most complete and appropriate recommendation to the referring physician should be to A. Administer a 20cc per kilo IV crystalloid bolus, then obtain a CT of the head, abdomen, and pelvis prior to transport by pediatric transport team. B. Obtain a portable x-ray of lateral C-spine, chest, and pelvis, and then transport by local ALS unit. C. Immediately transfuse 10 cc's per kilo packed red blood cells, PRBCs, and then obtain CT of the head, abdomen, and pelvis prior to transport by pediatric transport team. D. Immediately give 20 cc per kilo IV crystalloid bolus, and then obtain a portable x-ray of the C-spine, chest, and pelvis while awaiting arrival of the pediatric transport team. E. Immediately transport by local ALS unit without further intervention at the referring hospital. So in looking at this question, I know we need to immediately start resuscitation, stabilize the patient, but not delay transport. So I would go with D. That's right. The correct answer is D. This trauma victim demonstrates signs of hemodynamic instability, tachycardia, and hypotension, and requires immediate resuscitation and rapid transport to a pediatric trauma center. Transport should not be delayed by obtaining a CT scan at the referring hospital. However, standard radiographs will be helpful and do not significantly delay transfer. Although transport by a local ALS unit may be acceptable, Resuscitative measures should be in at the referring facility prior to transport. Great. Let's move on to the next question. The dispatcher for a local EMS service receives a call for a child stating his mother is shaking all over. With respect to EMS services, enhanced 911 are services that A. are available to cell phone users as well as traditional landlines. B. Provide immediate dispatch of EMS to the caller's location. C. Provide additional services such as car unlocking to the caller. D. Are available in all geographic locations in the United States. Or E. Provide the dispatcher with the caller's address and phone number. Well, it sure would be cool if C was correct, but I think it's got to be E. It just provides the address and phone number. Correct. The answer is E. Enhanced 911 provides the caller's location as well as the phone number to the dispatcher. The dispatcher is an important part of the 911 EMS system. They can provide the appropriate level of response to the scene as well as instruct the caller on interventions that may be provided prior to the arrival of first responders. 911 services are available to cell phone users, but the call may be routed to a regional call center rather than the local dispatcher. In addition, not all cell phones will provide the dispatcher with the caller's location. Currently, not all locations in the United States have access to the enhanced 911 services. Thanks for teaching that. Well, how about we move on to the next question? A referring hospital with limited pediatric capabilities is transferring a six-year-old who fell 15 feet from a tree. The patient has a closed head injury and fractures of both bones in the right forearm. She is described as sleepy but responds to verbal stimuli. 
To comply with the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, EMTALA, the referring physician is required to do all of the following except A. Obtain a non-contrast CT of the head and cervical spine prior to transport. B. Obtain the name of the accepting physician at your hospital. C. Provide copies of the medical record, including all lab work and radiographs. D. Explain to the family the risks and benefits of patient transfer. Or E. Provide stabilizing treatment within the capabilities of the referring hospital. One thing to note on this question, because it includes except in the question stem, the ABP is trying to get away from using words like accept in the question stem, but it can still show up on your exam, so it's really important to pay attention to how the question is phrased. Now back to the answers. I think it would be A, because EMTALA requires treatment within the capabilities of the referring facility, but does not require any specific test or radiographs to be performed. The rest of the statements are true. That's exactly correct, Jeff. Great. The next question, EMS is transporting a five-year-old unrestrained backseat passenger involved in a head-on MVC at high speed. He is in respiratory distress and is in need of definitive airway, but the paramedics are having difficulty with the endotracheal intubation. Which of the following would be the most appropriate definitive rescue airway in this patient? A. An esophageal tracheal combi tube. B an esophageal obturator airway, C, a laryngeal mask airway, or LMA, D, an oral airway, or E, a nasopharyngeal airway. Boy, it sounds like these paramedics got themselves in a bind. It's a good thing that the LMA is available. I would go with C. Exactly. The laryngeal mask airway is a blindly inserted device that when placed and inflated, forms a seal around the laryngeal inlet. It's used frequently in the operating room, but can also be used in the pre-hospital arena and in the ED as a rescue airway. Unlike the esophageal tracheal combi tube and the esophageal obturator airway, or EOA, the LMA comes in a range of sizes from neonate to adult. The oral and nasal pharyngeal airways can be helpful in the patient that is difficult to bag but are not definitive airways in that they do not provide direct delivery of oxygen to the trachea as would be required in this patient. That makes a lot of sense. Well, let's move on. Medical direction of EMS services includes both online and offline elements. Which of the following would constitute an online element of EMS medical control? A. Continuing education courses such as PEP, Pediatric Emergencies for Pre-Hospital Providers and PALS, B. Written Pediatric Treatment Protocols, C. Retrospective Reviews of EMS Run Sheets, D. Computer-Based Learning Programs, or E. Contact between EMS and the receiving physician regarding patient management. Hmm. So they're really trying to ask what online and offline medical control is. So I would go with E. I think that's correct. Online medical control involves direct contact between EMS and the medical control physician. Offline or indirect medical control includes treatment protocols, ongoing education, and quality control. 
Great. Let's do one more question. EMS is at the scene of a multi-car collision involving a school bus. There are multiple pediatric victims. With limited resources at the scene, which of the following patients should receive the most emergent care? A. A seven-year-old ambulatory child bleeding from a large scalp laceration. B. An eight-year-old with a head injury who is appropriately responsive to verbal stimuli, has a heart rate of 120, respiratory rate of 25. Or C. A five-year-old with an obvious femur fracture, the heart rate of 120, and a respiratory rate of 30. D. A seven-year-old with a head injury who responds to painful stimuli with moaning, heart rate of 140, and respiratory rate of 12. Or E. A six-year-old who is apneic, heart rate of 30, with weak pulses, and remains apneic after five rescue breaths. These questions are always tough for me because I just want to help all of them, but I've got to remember in these mass casualty situations to treat the patients who I can do the most good for with the limited time and resources that I have. So given that, I would try to help the seven-year-old with a head injury who responds to painful stimulus. That's correct. The answer is D. Field triage during mass casualty event requires caregivers to provide care to the most who will benefit with the least amount of resources. In some circumstances, care may need to be withheld from those who, under different circumstances, would receive medical care. The patient in D is able to maintain his heart rate despite having a serious head injury. However, the airway is at risk. This patient is likely to benefit from aggressive airway support and would be triaged as immediate. Ambulatory patients are generally triaged as minor. The patients in B and C have evidence of serious injuries but are demonstrating a patent airway as evidenced by the stable vital signs. These would be triaged as delayed. The patient in E is unable to maintain an airway and will only be salvaged with significant utilization of resources. Unfortunately, this patient would be triaged as deceased or expectant. Well, Drew, I think that's all we have time for today. Man, I guess time flies when you're having fun. Listeners, I hope reviewing these questions was helpful and hit the high-yield points on EMS and transport for the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Boards. And this concludes today's episode. Good luck studying, test takers. (laughs) 